Thank you very much. Am I on? Wow, it's a bit high for me. I think you're all taller in Wales than I am. <laughs> there's, a, um, there's a story of an American tourist who um, he happens to be here in, in Britain. He's traveling through Staffordshire and through Shropshire and through Wales. And um, he, he wants to work out if he can have a conversation with God. And he has his Blackberry. And so he goes, first of all, to Staffordshire. And um, he, he talks to uh, a leader of a church in Staffordshire, a guy called Richard. And he says, Richard, um, I'd love a conversation with God. Do you know his number? I have my Blackberry. And Richard says, well, actually I do, but there is a cost. It will cost you 500 pounds. So the American thinks about it and he thinks, okay, I'll, I'll just go and see what's happening in Shropshire. So he arrives in Shropshire and he speaks to me and he says, I have my Blackberry. And he asks the same question. Is it possible to have a conversation with God? I said, yes, it is uh, indeed, um, but it will cost you a thousand pounds. And he said, oh, I'm not sure. I, I just need to, to just think about that. And he decides he'll come to Wales and he comes to Wrexham and he meets, meets with Nigel and he says I've got my Blackberry and I want to call God and Nigel says I too have a Blackberry and, um, and, and yes certainly I have God's number and it will cost you 50p and the American says that's amazing because in Staffordshire it was going to cost me 500 pounds in Shropshire it's going to cost me a thousand pounds you're telling me here it's going to cost me 50p and Nigel said yeah well you're in Wales it's a local call. So uh, <laughs> I've told that story to ingratiate myself with you. Um, but the reality is we're actually, that's the subject we're going to talk about uh, this morning, the, the sense of actually being able to personally encounter Jesus. Because Easter Sunday, as you may have noticed, uh, if you're observant, celebrates the resurrection of Jesus. And the beauty of the resurrection is that Jesus is alive. And that means that there are millions of people right now claiming that they are experiencing a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I can stand before you today and I can say to you, I've experienced myself personally, his love and his power. And I know what a difference he's made to my own life. And the great thing about the resurrection is that right now we can test whether it's true. And today, people will have an opportunity to meet with and experience the risen Jesus. So are we up for that? Who would like to have that sort of opportunity? I'm quite keen myself. There's hands going up, praise God. Okay, with this in mind then, I'd love us to pray just briefly that God will speak to us. Because actually, as I'm speaking, um, I believe that you have the opportunity of listening to two voices. You can listen to my voice, of course, which is my voice box to your eardrum. But you can also listen to the voice of God. And that's a much more subtle voice. But it's the voice of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God. Because what we've already said is that Jesus is alive. So that means he has the ability, the capacity, and the power to speak to us today. So as I'm speaking, different things I say, different stories I tell, different phrases I use, some of those will strike you. And you'll think, wait a minute, that's, that sounds like something that I'm battling with, or that sounds like something that I'm encouraged by, or whatever it might be. And can I just encourage you to act in faith, because that is the voice of God speaking to you. 
So with this in mind, I'd love us to pray together and ask for that to happen. Should we do that? Let's just close our eyes for a moment. I wonder if you, you're happy to repeat these words after me. If you feel comfortably, comfortable doing that, then please do. Let's just pray. Dear God, please speak to me today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's open our eyes. So the Easter story is a very personal story. It's about God being alive. and It's about God being involved in our individual day-to-day experiences. And the Easter story is essentially about individual men and women meeting with the risen Jesus and realizing that as they encounter him, their lives will never be the same again. And so to illustrate this, I want to go back to the first Easter day and just look at what happened when individual people met with the risen Jesus. And we're going to start with a woman. We're going to start with a lady called Mary Magdalene. She was born in a little town called Magdala on the west shore of the Sea of Galilee. And Mary met with Jesus whilst he was traveling and teaching. And she was spiritually oppressed. And he came along and he set her free. He came and he brought freedom and joy and peace to her life. And she was so thrilled And she was so grateful that Jesus had come and he had brought hope and freedom to her that she decided, I'm going to travel with him. I'm going to travel with him and his followers. And actually, she was fairly well off. She was quite a wealthy lady. And she decided she would contribute to the needs of the group. And so she went along as a sponsor. It makes that clear in one of Jesus' biographies in Luke chapter 8, verse 2. So Mary was an energetic and a caring woman. And she made this decision. She decided, I'm going to follow Jesus wherever he goes. I'm going to go with him. Now, she had no idea that that would lead her and cause her to be standing at the foot of a Roman cross. Seeing Jesus hanging there, dying an excruciating death. She had no idea that her commitment would take her to that place. Suddenly, Mary's world had been rocked. All that she had hoped for, all that she had dreamed of, suddenly seemed to have disappeared. Anyone feel a little bit like that, I wonder? Anyone feel maybe some of the things that you hoped for, some of the things that you've dreamed of, maybe... It seemed to have faded and you feel, that was where Mary was at. Maybe you've experienced that in the past. Maybe you're experiencing that even now. Her world was rocked. The one who had given her a new life suddenly had his own life taken from him. And she was devastated. What was going to become of her now? And next we find her going to the tomb On the third day, Jesus' tomb, after three days after his death. And we're told that it's very early in the morning. It's still dark. It's probably somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. I don't know about you, but that's early. You know, I've got two little boys and they're lively lads. But even for a parent of young lads, that's, that's early, I would say. And Mary reaches the tomb, but the stone's been removed. 
and the tomb's empty. So she panics and she, she goes back for help and she finds Peter and John and they run to the tomb and they find it empty and then they leave. And so Mary's back at the tomb. She's alone again at the tomb. And she's weeping. Mary's weeping. She's not weeping now because Jesus is dead, but she's weeping because the body's gone. The body's disappeared. She suffered the anguish of watching Jesus be crucified. Now even her mourning was being violated. And she looks into the tomb, and there are two angels in the tomb. One where Jesus' head should have been, and one where Jesus' feet should have been. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that a poignant moment? Have you ever thought about that? Jesus was crucified between two criminals, but buried between two angels. And the angels ask her a question. They, they say, woman, why are you crying? They ask her about her tears. Now, when I read that, I thought to myself, what a stupid question. I wouldn't have said that to the angels, but, but from a human perspective, we can completely understand why she's crying. But this is the thing. From a heavenly perspective, her tears were a complete mystery. There's a, there's a, a commentator um, on the New Testament, a guy called Bruce Milne. And he says this about this subject. He says, if there is one place in space and one moment in time when tears were least appropriate, it is at the empty tomb of Jesus on Easter morning. But of course, Mary had an earthly perspective. She didn't understand the heavenly perspective. When it comes to Jesus, do we have an earthly perspective or do we have a heavenly perspective? Do we sometimes get caught up in the circumstances or do we see the bigger picture? Do we need actually sometimes for, for God to open our eyes to see beyond the now, the here and now and have that heavenly eternal perspective rather than the earthly perspective which is all about our world and all of the things that we're battling and struggling with. So Mary explains to the angels about the body and she's talking and saying, you know, what's going on? And as she does that, she, she becomes aware of another presence behind her. And she turns around and Jesus is standing before her. But she doesn't recognize him. Isn't that strange? Have you ever had that experience when someone doesn't, you don't recognize someone or someone doesn't recognize you? Isn't it most awkward? You meet someone who you know you should know and they start talking and you're trying to glean information as to whether, you know, who they are. And, oh, it's just the most embarrassing experience. And uh, um, it's funny, isn't it, when people don't recognize each other. I had this very strange, if not slightly embarrassing experience um, not so long ago. It, it seems to always happen to me. Um, we were... Uh, it'd been one of those days. It was a Monday, which is my day off and my wife Helen's day off. And um, I, I, it was a cold day. It was winter. I went downstairs to turn on the central heating and nothing happened. That horrible moment where the boiler just doesn't work. And a friend of ours was a corgi engineer. They were called corgi engineers in those days. I don't think they are anymore, but uh, uh, it's nothing to do with dogs, apparently. It means you can fix boilers. Um, and, and this friend came over in the afternoon and... Um, and he sorted out, and it took him until 7.30 in the evening. And I was really grateful that he'd sorted out. But it had been a pretty cold and miserable day off. 
and I was pretty frustrated, so much so that I thought it was 7.30 in the evening by this guy, time this guy had sorted out. We hadn't had any tea, so I thought I'm going to cheer, cheer us up with some unhealthy fried food. So I went to the chip shop to buy us some fish and chips. Thinking it's been a rubbish day, at least we can have some fish and chips. So I drive to the fish and chip shop. The fish and chip shop is next door to a pub, our, our local fish and chip shop. And as I'm driving towards it, and I, I'm going to park just outside the pub and the fish and chip shop, I see a guy who's sort of standing outside the pub, looking a little bit, if I'm honest, worse for wear. And so I pull up outside the, the pub, and this guy, and this guy, uh, as I'm just about to get out of the car, this guy, I've never seen him before in my life, he walks across to my car, he opens the door, he gets in, <laughs> closes the door, sits down, puts his seatbelt on, sits there. Right? <laughs> I've never seen this guy before in my life. He's about my age, a little bit older maybe, that sort of age. And so I'm sat there, and he's sat there, and I'm... Hello? <laughs> and he looks around and he goes, Oh, sorry mate. I thought you were my dad. And then he got out of the car <laughs> and walked away. I mean, that is the perfect end to the perfect day, really. And so it is, it is strange, isn't it, when, when people don't recognize each other. And, uh, and in that situation, of course, um, you know, he'd just mistaken me for his dad. A bit like, you know, you see someone and you think, oh, it's Elvis in the supermarket, but actually it's just someone who looks a bit like Elvis. Do you know what I mean? That, that's not... Do you, do you know what I mean? Um, but the, 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 the strange thing here is Mary doesn't recognize Jesus. Now that's slightly different because she spent a long time with him. So how come she doesn't know who he was? Two things to say. The first thing is that Mary, this is really important, Mary was looking for a corpse. She wasn't searching for a victorious risen Lord. So when Jesus says to her, what is it that you are looking for? Maybe there's a hint of challenge in those words. And as we search for Jesus, here's a question for us. What are we looking for? Are we looking for a crutch? Are we looking for someone who we, we call on when we're in trouble? Are we looking for gentle Jesus, meek and mild? Or are we looking for a powerful, victorious, living Lord? So maybe Mary didn't recognize him because she was looking for the wrong thing or looking in the wrong place or whatever. And sometimes we can be looking for the wrong thing or we can be looking with the wrong expectations or we can be looking with our own agenda as to what we want to find. But Jesus doesn't work like that. He meets us unexpectedly and not at all in the way that we're thinking of, often. Secondly, and I would say equally significantly, Mary didn't recognize Jesus because he had a new resurrection body. In some indefinable sense, Jesus was different. He was clothed in a resurrection body. And this very fact is a massive encouragement to every person sitting here who's a Christian. Because anyone who believes in Christ, anyone who is a Christian, anyone who has a profession of faith in Jesus has been promised a glorious body in the next life. Isn't that incredible? It's wonderful. It's almost unbelievable, but it's true. Christians get a new body in heaven. I'm looking forward to mine. I mean, it's hard to imagine that God could do better than the body he's given me, but apparently he can and he will. So, so, too much laughter. Too much laughter. So, 
So Mary doesn't recognize Jesus. She thinks he's the gardener. She assumes that at such an early hour, only the gardener would be around. And so thinking that Jesus is the gardener, she says this. Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. I love that. I love it because it's so ironic. Mary says to Jesus, are you responsible for the disappearance of Jesus from the tomb? And in the most profound sense, yes, he was. <laughs> and then we, come, then we come to the highlight of the whole story. This is the most wonderful moment. Jesus speaks one word to Mary. And that word changed her world. That word meant her life would never, ever be the same again. And that word was her own name. Mary. She knew. From the moment he spoke her name, she knew it was Jesus. It was really him. He'd been present for the whole conversation, but she didn't realize it until he spoke her name. You know, it's possible for Jesus to be present and yet for us not to recognize him until he speaks to us. And he's speaking to you today, speaking to people today. He may have already spoken in the context of the things I've already began to say. You know if he has. He may still be going to speak to you, so keep listening. As he says our name, we know he's alive. That he's real, that he's close by, that he's with us, that he's calling us. I'll tell you what, the greatest moment in my life was when Jesus called my name. I didn't hear it audibly, I didn't hear it in the way that Mary heard it, but I tell you what, I heard it in my heart and it was no less real. Terry, follow me. And today the risen Lord Jesus is speaking into people's hearts. He's saying, follow me, properly, truly. Follow me. Finally, Jesus says to Mary, go to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my father and your father, to my God and your God. What a statement that is. When we think about it, the risen Lord Jesus refers to his followers as brothers. And then he says, I'm going to my father and your father. How can he use those words? Because we know he is uniquely the son of God. But something has happened. A new level of relationship with God has been thrown open to them and to us. Your father and my father. Your God and my God. Jesus by his death, his resurrection and his ascension has opened up a new level of relationship for us with God the father. This means that we receive him and we believe in him and we become his children. It's true. We know that God can know us intimately and we can know God intimately because of what happened at Easter. So the question, what difference does the resurrection make to us in the here and now in 2012? makes every difference. Every difference in the world. It changes our life now and it changes our life forever. Why? Well, because the way has been opened up for us to have a personal relationship 
with God the Father. And so Mary goes to the disciples, to the early followers, the first followers, the closest friends of Jesus. She says, I have seen the Lord. In that message, I have seen the Lord. In that message, we find the very essence of Christianity. A Christian is someone who can essentially say, I have seen the Lord. Because Christianity doesn't mean knowing about Jesus. It means knowing him. It's, it's not about arguing or debating about Jesus. It's about meeting him. It means the certainty of experience that Jesus is alive. Yes. Now that was something that one particular man struggled with. See, after Jesus appeared to Mary, he then appeared to his closest followers, to his disciples. But one of them was missing. Three years earlier, Thomas had been one of the, the, the followers chosen to be the 12 people closest to Jesus. And he's only mentioned twice this man called Thomas before the Easter story. The first time is in uh, John's biography of him in chapter 11, where we hear him say he's prepared to go to Jerusalem to die with Jesus, which shows pretty impressive loyalty. The second time is a couple of chapters later, John 14, chapter 14, where Thomas speaks up and says he's no idea what Jesus is talking about when he says about going to the Father. So, so what we find, we've got these little snapshots of this man Thomas, and we find that he was loyal, but slightly pessimistic. Oh, let's go and die with him then. But at the same time, he was also a little bit slow to understand, but pretty not afraid to, you know, he would say that. I don't understand. Guys, I have no idea what you're talking about. So this gives us a little snapshot of the sort of character and personality of Thomas. And it may be that Thomas wasn't with the others because the death of Jesus had been so devastating to him. He just wanted to be by himself. He just wanted to be alone with his grief. That's possible. We don't know that. I'm guessing that. Of course, that can be valid sometimes. We just need to be alone sometimes. But I think there is a lesson for us in that. Thomas initially missed out because he was not there when Jesus turned up. He was not with the others. He was on his own. And I want to encourage us today. Let's, let's make sure that we don't miss out by choosing loneliness rather than togetherness. By choosing isolation rather than fellowship. Because things happen within the community of the church that will not happen when we're on our own. And we need to be there. And the time when we want to shut ourselves away from, from other Christians, and we all experience that, those times are usually the very times when we need to be meeting up with other people. And that's important maybe for some people here today. And of course, I don't know you, so I can say this very freely. If Nigel was saying it and there was someone here who wasn't here very often, it would look like he was having a go at them. But the reality is I don't know who's here regularly and who's not. But... That might be a challenging statement for some people here today, but I think it is really important for you. So Jesus came to the disciples and Thomas was not there. And so the disciples say to Thomas what Mary had said to the disciples. We have seen the Lord. Same statement. And at this point, Thomas lays down a few conditions. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, unless I put my hand into his side... I will not believe it. And because of this famous statement, poor old Thomas has been typecast for 2,000 years as doubting 
Thomas. Yes, Thomas doubted the words of his colleagues. But actually, he was very sure about one thing, what he would do if Jesus turned up. Right, what will happen is this, right? Jesus will appear, not that he will, of course, because I don't believe a word of it, but if he did, if he did, then I wouldn't believe it unless I put my fingers in the wounds. Only then will I believe he's been physically raised. raised. I mean, you lot, you were probably hallucinating or, or you got a bit excited or you've eaten too much cheese or something. I don't know, but unless I can touch him, it's not true. Yes, that was, that's what needs to happen for me to believe. See, Thomas had his strategy sorted. He had a plan. He had an agenda. Then Jesus turned up. And there he was, standing in the midst of them. The risen Lord Jesus, the glorious one, the conqueror of death. There he was. And Jesus turns his attention towards Thomas. Go on, Thomas. Touch the wounds. Stop doubting. Believe. It's a a favorite theme of artists, isn't it? If you notice, there are many paintings uh, painted, pictures painted of, of doubting Thomas reaching out to touch the wounds of Jesus. I want to say this to you with all the respect in the world to the artists. I think it's unlikely Thomas ever did such a thing. I suggest to you that Thomas was so overwhelmed by the presence of Jesus that he did nothing other than speak out this great confession that we have recorded. My Lord and my God. Thomas' great plan had faded. His bold words, unless I do this or unless I do that, came to nothing. His agenda melted away. See, often we set agendas, don't we? And they melt away when Jesus turns up. (laughs) Oh, I'll say this and I'll do that. And then Jesus comes and our human planning just moves into the background. I wonder if there are people here and you're in a place where you're working and you're thinking and you're planning out of all very good motives. But actually, maybe you need to stop and encounter Jesus again. Put your plans on hold. Just check that they're God-given plans. Just stop in your own strength and just encounter Jesus once again. From that day, Thomas was changed from that very day. Why? Well, because he met with the risen Jesus. Nothing else would have done. Nothing else would have, would have taken him to the places that he ultimately went as a great apostle. Nothing, only this, an encounter with the risen Jesus. And from that very second that he saw the resurrected Jesus, he was changed forever. How do we know? Well, because of what he said, because of the language he used. He said, my Lord and my God. Not Lord God, not O Lord, O God. No, my Lord and my God. You see, this isn't some abstract theological definition of the person of Jesus. No, this is deeply personal Jesus is Thomas's Lord it's personal it's emotional it's relational it's wonderful 
It's why the resurrection makes a difference today. It's why Easter is so relevant 2,000 years on. Because we can still meet Jesus. This isn't me getting a bit excited. It's pure logic. I used to be an accountant. I like logic. See, if Jesus rose from the grave, he conquered death. Then he's continually alive. If he's continually alive, he's alive today. If he's alive today, we can meet him today. It's a fact that right now, in this present time, at this point in history, there are literally millions of people around the world who fall at the feet of the risen Jesus and say, my Lord and my God. It's personal. That's why the Easter story is so important in 2012. It's of eternal importance to every individual person who needs to meet with Jesus. Listen to this story. It's a story of a little boy called Philip who was born with a genetic condition which caused him to have some learning difficulties. And so Philip attended a Sunday school with other children of eight years old, boys and girls of eight years old. That's how old Philip was. And typical of that age, the children didn't readily accept Philip as part of the group with his differences. They had a wonderful creative teacher And because of that, they began to care about Philip and accept him as part of the group, but not fully. The Sunday after Easter, the teacher brought some containers that looked like large eggs. And each child was given one, and they were told to go outside on a lovely spring day and find some symbol for new life and put it inside the egg-like container. And then back in the classroom, they would all share their new life symbols, you know, opening the containers in surprise fashion. Ooh, ah. <laughs> so they ran around the church property in wild confusion. And then the students return with their containers into the classroom. And they sit around a table. And surrounded by the children, the teacher begins to open them one by one. And after each one, it's a butterfly or a flower or a leaf. The class would ooh and ah appropriately. And, and then one was opened and it revealed nothing inside. And the children cried out, oh, it's stupid, it's not fair, someone hasn't done the job properly. And Philip spoke up, he said, that's mine. Oh, Philip, you never do anything right. There's nothing in there. Philip said, I did do it. I did do it. It's empty. The tomb was empty. Silence followed. From that day, Philip became a full member of the class. Sadly, Philip died not long afterwards from an infection that other children would have fought off. At the funeral, this class of eight-year-old boys and girls marched up to the altar, not with flowers, but with their Sunday school teacher, each of them to lay an empty egg on the altar. Easter is deeply personal. Whether you're a woman weeping at a tomb whether you're a skeptic, un- unable to, to, to wrestle with belief, or whether you're an eight-year-old boy with an empty egg. It's personal. It affects us all. So referring to these individual stories may have, maybe something applies, applies to you in this context. I just want to give people an opportunity to respond today. 
And actually, I wasn't sure about this. I was chatting to Mike and Helen about this. Mike and Helen came with me and very kindly drove me here. And I was saying, I, I wasn't sure whether what I would want to do at the end. And I just feel it would be appropriate to actually give people an opportunity to respond by simply coming to the front, standing by me, and then I'm just going to pray. It feels like a symbolic gesture of moving closer to Jesus. Because essentially, that's what Easter enabled us to do. And so, that's a public act. So it's not, it's not a time for embarrassment. And you may know that as, as I've been speaking, you feel God's spoken to you. And you know that you may need to come forward and respond to Jesus. And that's fine. And you may have been a Christian for a long time. Or you may never have been in this position before. And that doesn't matter. What matters is that if you need to come, you come forward. Can I say, I have in my mind three categories of people. There may be more. But I, I really want to encourage you, if you're in this category of people, these, these categories of people, I really want you just to come, stand at the front, open your hands to Jesus, and I'm just going to pray God's blessing upon you. Firstly, I believe there are people here who are battling to hold on to a heavenly perspective. Circumstances in your life are difficult or challenging. Maybe you've got a big decision to make. A thin ice word, it just seems so relevant for people today. And the security of knowing that Christ can hold you in the circumstances of your thin ice. You need Jesus to speak maybe. You need God's wisdom. You need God's guidance. If you're in that category, I'm going to ask you in a few moments just to step forward. Secondly, and I believe this is the widest category of all. There are people here, I believe, just recognize you want to draw closer to Jesus. And it's the, it's the longing that, that Mary had. The longing that Thomas had to touch him. And actually, within that category, I want to encourage people who we prayed for earlier, who are unwell, to come again. In order, because sometimes you just need to be persistent. We need to pray again. There may be some people here, you feel you're Christians, you've been a Christian for a long time maybe, but you're just not as close as you once were. There's a bit of a distance, and you just want to draw close again. And you think to yourself, well, I haven't got to come to the front to do that. No, it's a symbolic gesture of just coming and saying, I'm committed to just draw close to Jesus. As a family, we recently went to Chester Zoo. And um, we saw elephants and lions and tigers and um, giraffes and all sorts. My favorite place was the butterfly house, which seems unusual. But in the butterfly house, it was just so amazing. You sort of walk around and there's, unsurprisingly, there's butterflies everywhere. <laughs> It was just amazing. Right, and I, I watched this one teenage boy and he just stood still and opened up his hands and slowly butterflies began to land. And do you know what? I felt God spoke to me about us and about today. And actually for some people, in a moment, I feel that some people just need to come forward and be like the guy in the butterfly house of Chester Zoo. You just come and be still. Stop striving and planning and working like Thomas was with his agenda. You just come and hold out your hands and let the presence of God gently land on you. Because Jesus is alive and he can do that.
Finally, there are people here, maybe, who need to meet Jesus for the first time, and you need to come. And that takes courage, that takes guts. If you've never been here before, my goodness, that takes a lot of courage. But can I just say to, the, to you, above everyone else, today is your day. It's your name he's speaking. And so if you're not sure you have a relationship with Jesus, if you're not sure you've ever really met with him, if you're not sure what will happen when you die, you just need to come. You really need to come. So these are the categories of people I have in my mind. There may be other categories. I wonder if we could just stand together. I wonder if Phil can help us by leading us. Let's stand together, shall we? What I would love to do, i just love people to come forward. I'm just going to pray a general prayer over you. Then if you feel, well, I don't want actual specific individual prayer, then you can go back to your seats. If people want individual prayer, I'd be delighted to pray for as many people who want that. That's not a big deal. It's not about me. It's about encountering Jesus. And I'm not going to draw this out. Can I say that if you come, you come. If you don't, you don't. It's fine. It really makes no difference to me at all. But it might make the world of difference to you. And so if, if you're in any of those categories that I've mentioned and you want to draw close, and maybe it's for healing, but maybe it's just a sense of just coming back to him or maybe coming to him for the first time, then I just want you to come and stand right here now. Please come. Please come. Thank you. Do come. Let's just move a little bit forward so we can just be all in here together. See, what I would love to do, I would love you guys to hold out your hands to God, just like that guy did in the butterfly house, (laughs) and just to be ready to receive and to encounter Jesus. He's risen. He's alive. He can meet with you today. And I'd just love to pray for you. Then I'd love us to worship God as Phil leads us. I'd love you guys to be partakers, those of you who, who are still in the, in, the, in the pews, as it were. We'd love you to be partaking by worshipping. Some guys here at the front, I don't want you necessarily to have to worship. I want you just to stand and receive. That may be where you need to be at this point in time because Jesus sometimes just needs to speak to you rather than you speak to him. If you feel like you want to worship, that's fine. Please don't let me, far be it from me to prevent you from worshiping God. But sometimes it's just really important just standing in his presence and receiving and allowing the presence of Jesus just to fall upon you. So I'm going to pray, then we're going to worship and then Nigel and I are going to decide what we do after that. Let's just open our hearts to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much that you're alive and well and you're at work in our lives. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for all of these guys who've come, who just want to meet with you, who want to encounter you. I want to pray very particularly for anyone who's battling with the circumstances, with the thin ice, that, Lord Jesus, they know as they draw close to you, then actually you can bring hope, you can bring joy, you can bring freedom, you can bring peace. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that when you came as the risen Lord to your followers and you breathed upon them, 
and you said, peace be with you. And I want to proclaim your wonderful peace over this group of people today. Thank you for their courage coming forward. But Lord, I pray that you would honor their courage by touching them deeply in their inner being, in their very soul. I pray, Lord God, that you would come and that you would meet with them. What I'd love to do now is worship God together. I want you guys to stay during this time of worship. Either worship from the front or just stand and enjoy the presence of God. And at the end of the song, if you want personal prayer, you stand here determined. So I want someone to actually pray for me. I want to receive more. If you feel, actually, I wanted to come, it was a symbolic gesture, and I want to go and sit down, then that's fine. But let's all stay where we are right now as we worship God together. Let's do that right now as a response to him. And you guys, feel free just to enjoy God's presence.